Today's scripture reading is in, found in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Uh, I believe you can find that on page 802 <clears throat> in the blue Bibles that are available in the back of the church. Um, if you'd like to take one of those home, you don't have one, uh, feel free to take that with you as a gift from Cornerstone. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to, continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to, be, to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. The word of the Lord. Thank you, John. All right, let me pray. <sighs> Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Philippians. Thank you for Paul writing these words uh, 2,000 years ago. And yet, somehow, your Holy Spirit was working through that process to give us living words, words that today. In 2017, we can read and understand and apply it to our lives as we walk through them. I pray that you would bless this time, bless our study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. It's always fun to talk about hardship and difficulties, right? 
Our, our sermon today is on kind of the difficulties of being a disciple, of following Christ. And as I was kind of daydreaming about difficulties and hardships, I thought of one of the kind of the most, the, the toughest life experiences that, that some people have. Now, I'm not one of these people in this group uh, because it has to do with the military, going through boot camp and how hard boot camp is. My brother, Nathaniel, he went through Marine Corps boot camp, and maybe you've served in the military, you know someone who has been through a boot camp. Well, like, what is that? It's a, it's a time meant to test you, to try you, to refine you. It's meant to be a really difficult and hard time. When my brother went through Marine Corps, the, the boot camp, they do kind of all the normal things, right? They do the push-ups, the sit-ups, the pull-ups, the, the running, uh, the, the drilling, the, the gun range, all those hard things. But at the end of the Marine Corps boot camp, they have this special test, and it's called the crucible. And it's, a, it's kind of like a 54-hour test where there's lack of sleep, <laughs> lack of food, and they, I think they hike about 45 different miles. And if you can make it through that hike, through that, that, that test, you become a Marine at the end. But it's through the suffering that they're refined, that they become Marines. I read a book, uh, so I, I was thinking about joining uh, the Marine Corps, and it didn't happen, uh, but I did read a book that an author followed a platoon uh, through boot camp, and he, like one of the few things I remember from this book was he described this like really big, hulking guy, super strong, he would expect, you know, boot camp would be easy, and he was so mentally drained from it that he punched a shower wall and he got sent home, and so that recruit didn't make it through boot camp, he didn't become a Marine. But somehow through this trial, through this suffering, that's how they become like a force. That's how they become a team. And I wanted to show you this picture of uh, the Marine Corps. Oh, apparently one is not working. So we're going to bring it up. So this is a, this is a picture of... Uh, <laughs> A drill instructor, right? Aren't you, aren't you glad that, like, that's not how I preach uh, at you guys, just, like, in your faces? <laughs> Let's go. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think I could ever preach that way. Some believe that Marines are forged in a furnace of shared hardship and tough training. Shared intense experience creates a bond so strong between Marines that nothing can stop them from accomplishing their mission. Now, what would get you through something as, uh, as intense as, as boot camp? Lots of push-ups, like mental strength, emotional strength, not wanting to let your fellow recruits down, your fellow Marines. As followers of Christ, as disciples, I believe we're all called to boot camp. This life is a boot camp that God gives us. It's, it's a time of refinement. It's a time of trial and suffering where we encounter different obstacles. And just like in boot camp, you have to overcome these obstacles in order to become a Marine, I believe that God gives us hardships that at the end of the day, they, they separate recruits from true disciples. How we end up walking through them. Are we going to be the Christians that when we encounter hardship and we encounter suffering, we just say, ah, well, I'm not really that into this. I don't really care that much. I'm just going to go back to my normal life. Or are we going to press forward and follow Christ? In other words, do I want to be a true 
disciple? Do I want to be a real Christian? My first point from our passage today is that uh, disciples embrace hardship for Christ. Near the end of Paul's life, he wrote this book, the book of Philippians, and he faced incredible hardship. So maybe some of you know the, the journeys of Paul. He went on these three missionary journeys throughout the ancient world. And as he got back to Jerusalem at the end of the third missionary journey, there was like a riot and he was arrested. And he was pretty much imprisoned or in prison or under arrest for about the next four to five years. Two to three years in Caesarea from 57 to 59 and then he was transported to Rome, and on the way to Rome, he, he was shipwrecked, and he, he eventually made it just so that he could sit imprisoned for another two years from about 60 to 62 A.D. So he is undergoing lots of hardship, lots of mental and emotional strain. And where we meet Paul in the story, so as he's writing Philippians, he is most likely sitting in Rome under house arrest. So by imprisoned, I don't mean that he was necessarily locked away in a, in a cage somewhere. He was probably under house arrest. And Acts talks about him having a house and being guarded there. And as we look at today's passage, Paul faced three different types of hardship as he was under arrest in this situation. The first one, just very simply going to call suffering. Paul faced suffering in this kind of low-level prison situation. I want to describe a little bit of the suffering to you. And it comes from our passage today. Verse 7 talks about him being in chains. Verses 14 and others talk about him being in chains. 13, 14, and 17. Uh, pastor and author Steve Lawson talks about the types of chains that he was in. And he was in uh, these chains that were probably about 18 inches long in length. So he could never kind of like extend his arms all the way. So like these extended handcuffs. And then these handcuffs, these chains, were attached to a, a Roman soldier. So he was always like in shackles, always attached to a Roman soldier. And even if you're under house arrest, like that is... That would be a lot. You would never be able to be alone. You would always be, your, your wrists would be sore. They would rub on your wrists. You would feel emotional pain. You'd feel physical pain. It would kind of be like carpal tunnel syndrome, I think, where your, your wrists lock up and you get sore. Monica and I visited uh, Colonial Williamsburg this summer. Maybe some of you have been to Colonial Williamsburg. And down in the center of Colonial Williamsburg, what do they, what do they have? They have the the stocks, right, that you can, for fun, <laughs> you can put your head in, you can put your arms in, you know, your older siblings can like hold it shut so that you can't get out, and then they can take pictures of you. And when I was there a long time ago, like that was something that was fun to do, right? When I was a kid, I was interested in doing that. And when I went back this time and I walked by, I was, I was not interested in that at all. Just even for a moment, being in them sounded incredibly uncomfortable. Imagine being in chains in a stockade for two years. That's some serious suffering. That's some serious pain. God calls us to suffering and pain as well, doesn't he? Sometimes he, he brings us into situations that are not fun. 
there are trials and there are personal circumstances. Maybe it's a hardship with your family or, or your job. God wants to do something in that. God wants to, to take you through that time and refine you, take you from being a recruit to a true disciple, a true follower of Christ. God used the situation that Paul went through for good, and he can use your situation for good as well. Philippians 1.14 says this, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. See, as a result of the way in which Paul is handling his suffering, as a result of how he is going through it, those around him are becoming bolder and, and more courageous. The, the church in Rome that's incredibly outnumbered, that in just a few years will go through an intense time of persecution, that church is becoming bold. And the people are sharing about Christ with those around them. Would you be willing to suffer, like you personally, me individually, would I be willing to suffer if somehow Jesus was shared more? <laughs> I don't know if the answer is yes for me. <laughs> I really wrestle with this sometimes. Am I willing to get uncomfortable for Christ? Uh, I want to show you a map. This is a, a map of Burma or Myanmar. Uh, India's over to the left, like Australia's down to the bottom right. In Burma right now, there is a humanitarian crisis. I don't know how much it's you're aware of it or how much it's on the news, uh, but there's a conflict between the Burmese government and a indigenous Muslim people group that has been there for about 100 years uh, called the Rohingya. The Burmese government does not recognize the Rohingyans' right to live in Burma, and they live kind of in that, that orange region, and so they are pushing them, them out. See, the government is cracking down on these people, on the Muslims, the Muslims, of course, the, the, this, the Rohingya people group, there is a segment of them that are turning militant. And they are fighting back against the Burmese government. And the Burmese government just passed a law within the month that said, if you're practicing any religion besides Buddhism, you have to do it in these certain zones. So they're restricting uh, Christianity and Islam and other faiths. And you, the, the zones that you can practice Christianity in are the ones where Adoniram Judson, maybe you've heard of him, he was a famous missionary where he went and preached the gospel like those regions are okay. Now, for those of you that get the prayer network, I sent out a prayer request for uh, a, a founder of a Bible school that's in Burma right now. And he is not in one of the kind of free speech, free religion, free Christianity zones. He is outside of that. And about two weeks ago, he was informed by the, the local police, the local government, that the Bible school was banned. He had to shut down, and he could no longer uh, talk about Christ. He, he was called into the government office and, and, and said, you need to sign this document that says you will never worship Jesus again or teach Christianity. <laughs> and he said, no. <laughs> and it made them really, really mad. Now, that happened literally two weeks ago. How does that make you feel? Does that make you, like, think about our culture <laughs> and our world and where we live in? It kind of puts things in perspective, right? Like, the, the worst alienation that we face, if we are a little bit more bolder than usual to tell others about Christ, 
is maybe we'll lose a friend. Maybe our neighbors will think we're kind of weird and nutty. <laughs> maybe if we do it at our work, we might get in trouble or potentially lose a job. But we're not going to like be cast out of the country. <laughs> we're not going to be locked up. The first disciples, Paul, they faced suffering. They faced real suffering. And there's, there's people all around the world facing true suffering. And we should look at them and, and take encouragement to wherever God has called us to find courage, to find hope, to be encouraged by the Pauls that God has placed in this world for our time. Now, the first hardship is suffering, kind of this, these trials that we go through. The second is more relational or social, and this one can be even more difficult. Alienation. See, Paul not only faces difficult circumstances, he also faces difficult people. <laughs> at, the, at the church in Philippi, uh, through this, this man, Epaphras, who, who Philipp, the church of Philippi sends to Paul, he hears what's going on. And then as he's listening to him, he must have heard, well, there's this segment in, in our church that, well, they don't really like you. <laughs> they're, they're envious Uh, there's a lot of rivalry. They're kind of selfish. Paul writes all of these things. He says, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry and and selfish ambition. And they they don't really like you, Paul. They're kind of preaching against you a little bit. I don't know about you, but if that was me, I'd just be like super mad. I would lash out. Because this hurts, right? It hurts when People get jealous or selfish or insecure and they badmouth you. That's what they're doing to Paul. They're saying, Paul, you're in prison because you're guilty. You deserve to be in prison. You did something wrong. And the hardest thing about this is that these are not like the non-believers in Philippi. These are the Christians. These are other believers. These are other disciples. If you've been a Christian long enough, you know that eventually you'll get hurt, right? You'll get hurt by other Christians. And that kind of pain actually hurts worse, I think, than pain from the outside world, where people, you know, don't believe what we believe. Well, okay, well, what if someone believes the same thing you believe and they wound you and they hurt you? I think we can all say, if you've been in the church long enough, that you've been hurt by a pastor, by a ministry, by a committee, by a staff person, by just another well-intentioned Christian, right? I know I certainly have, and I've done my fair share of wounding. So we face sometimes alienation from within the church body, but what, what if God calls you and calls me to these? What if the type of suffering, the, the type of alienation he wants us to face is not from outside the church, but it's from inside the church? What if he wants us to go through that? Like we see Paul, that's what's happening to Paul here. He is facing alienation from other Christians. And he doesn't say, all right, I am done with you. <laughs> He doesn't walk away from the church. Right now he can't. He's in chains. But he doesn't cast them out. In fact, 
he has hope. He has a lot of hope for two reasons. First, most believers aren't like this. There are some that preach Christ out of goodwill. They, 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 they do so out of love. They know that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. See, Paul has those that encourage him. And I, I truly believe that the majority of Christians, the majority of believers fall in this category. And second, although those, those people in, in this passage in Philippi, although they have false motives, although they have some false things going on on the inside, they're actually not false teachers. <laughs> in other words, they're preaching Christianity. They're preaching Christ. They're, they're talking about Jesus. They're doing it the right way. If these were false teachers, Paul would have called them out and cast them out of the church and said, get rid of those guys, but they're not. They have bad attitudes, <laughs> but they're not bad teachers. When we encounter alienation from with inside the church, and as the years go on, we certainly are here. But anywhere you are, anytime you're around Christians, if you encounter them, just pray this. Pray, Father, you know I don't like this. This is unnecessary. This is stupid. But we know that you love us in it. You love me in it. You love them in it. They're preaching Christ, so we're going to keep believing. We're going to keep having faith. Give us hope. Give us joy in the midst of this hardship. That's what we're called to pray. So the first thing that we face as disciples is suffering. The second thing is alienation. But wait, there's more. (laughs) I have a deal for you. If you weren't satisfied with those two things, there's also death. (laughs) Paul, as he's sitting under house arrest, he is chained to a Roman soldier. And he's been under house arrest for a long time. And the charges are silly, like he doesn't deserve to be under house arrest. He doesn't deserve to be in prison. But you, you have to think that, you know, if he's in prison this long for false charges... Wouldn't you begin to consider the possibility that he might be wrongfully executed, be put to death for his faith? I think so. If I I was in Paul's situation, I think I would be afraid. I think I would be really nervous and I'd be anxious. And the thing I would would be thinking is don't die. Like, I hope I don't die. But Paul's not afraid of that. Paul's not afraid of death at all. In fact, he says, he says what his greatest fear is in verse 20. He says, I just want to, I want to have sufficient courage. <laughs> I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted. Paul isn't too worried about death. He just wants to be courageous. He doesn't want to get so wrapped up in this life that he takes his eyes off of his Savior, off of Jesus, so that what he's going through doesn't overcome him. See, death can't even overcome us as we focus on Christ. Then he writes the, the two most beautiful, one of the most beautiful lines in the Scriptures. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, what does that mean? It means, well, if I die, that's a win. 
because I get to be with Christ. And if I live, that's a win as well because I get to talk about Christ. And I get to, to love Christ in this world. There's only good options for Paul, but how could he ever develop this mindset? Like, I don't know about you, but I think I would get pretty nervous. Well, verse 19 tells us, he says, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Do you notice the two things that he attributes his courage to, his hope to? Prayer and the Holy Spirit. Prayer and the Holy Spirit. (laughs) One of those things we can do, and one of those things is God, (laughs) is a person of the Trinity. So we can ask God, God, would you give me courage? God, I don't, this, this being a disciple sounds hard. Like, I don't want to face suffering. I don't want to face alienation, especially from my brothers and sisters in Christ or even the outside world. I certainly don't want to face death. So you just, you just bring these things to the, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, and say, God, would you help me? Father, help me. So that I don't think about those things. I don't focus on those things, but I focus on Christ. I wanted to share kind of a historical illustration. Some of you may have heard of Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, Eric Metaxas wrote a, a, a New York Times bestseller called uh, Bonhoeffer, Pastor, Martyr, Prophet, Spy a couple years ago. And, uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany. So he was, he was a pastor, uh, but he, he, he kind of was a part of a, a resistance movement from within Germany against Hitler, trying to overthrow the Nazis, trying to actually assassinate Hitler. But he got caught and was sentenced to death. And this was near the end of the war, but he actually died for his faith. And the, the person who saw him die, there was this doctor who witnessed his death, attributes kind of how he handled himself in these last moments to prayer. He talks about how Bonhoeffer was praying. I want to share this quote for you, uh, with you. Can you go to the Bonhoeffer slide? It says, Through the half-open door in one room of the huts, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer, before taking off his prison garb, kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of his execution, he said a short prayer and then climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. In the almost 50 years that I have worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Do you think this was his first day praying? (laughs) Or that he didn't pray very often? I think he prayed a lot. I think he prayed a whole lot. That's what we do day by day. We don't know what our circumstances are going to be. We don't know what God is going to take us through. And so we just pray. We just pray. We pray as we go about our day, as we encounter our difficulties, as we encounter our circumstances. God was faithful to Paul in Philippi 2,000 years ago. God was faithful to Diedrich Bonhoeffer through prayer, through the Holy Spirit, to take him through suffering, through alienation, and through even death. Like God's going to be faithful in whatever he calls us to. God has actually been faithful to this, this man in 
Burma to the Bible teacher. I didn't send out an update through the prayer network, but now you're here, so you get to receive the update. Thank you for praying for him. This church was praying for him and his Bible school and some other churches. A lot of Christians were praying. And guess what? It worked. God did something. God did something amazing. So uh, this man, he went back to the government, uh, and he showed up. And uh, so I have, a, I have a, a missionary friend who described what happened to me. He said uh, it was almost like they were like, trying to, to be real gentle with him and kind of explain what to do. And the government explained what to do to this Bible teacher. They said, you know what, you can, you can kind of keep your Bible school there's a solution. There's, there's a loophole. So they told him the loophole. They said, you just need to establish your Bible school as a philanthropic organization. Just call it that, and you can go about your way. You can do whatever you want. Keep going. Keep doing your thing. Wow. So they still get to operate in a zone that is not designated as like okay for Christian Bible schools to operate, and they get to operate there and continue to preach and teach the gospel. God answers prayers. The, the Holy Spirit works through, through, through our prayers, conquering suffering, conquering alienation, conquering death. And as Paul examines his own life, he really says this. He says, you know, I, I, would, I would rather die. <laughs> I'd rather go and be with Christ. But honestly, what's better is that I, I, as I live. Because if I'm alive, if I'm if I'm breathing, I can, I can love and serve you. And this leads me to my next big point, that disciples embrace life for each other. Yes, we face hardship. We, we, we go through hardship for Christ, but we embrace living for those around us. Hands down, it would be easier for Paul to die and go to heaven But what does he say? He says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. If you've ever been through kind of a a hurtful situation, uh, whether it's uh, alienation from outside the church or inside the church, or maybe you're going through it right now, sometimes it's tempting to think, oh man, it would just be easier if like, I'd be martyred for Jesus just heroically right now, like on the street as I'm, as I'm walking somewhere, or if I got in an accident, it would be easier to be dead. <laughs> I've thought that. But you know what Paul says? He says, no, well, it's, it's better to be alive because every day that we are living gives us an opportunity to continue loving God and loving each other, loving and serving each other. Paul is willing to postpone his own gratification of being with Christ. Let's look again at the passage and look at how Paul is embracing life and how we should too. See, Paul, does, Paul is embracing life for the lost. God called Paul in verses 12 through 14 into the kind of the trial, the suffering of prison, so that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, would spread to the whole palace guard. The whole palace guard is the Praetorian guard. The Praetorians are like this elite bodyguard force who they're higher, they're 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 better paid. Uh, they have a great retirement plan. Uh, they have shorter terms of service, and so these were warriors who were more loyal. Uh, they were they were strong. They were warriors. They were loyal. 
They also had a weakness. <laughs> and their weakness is they needed Jesus. They needed Christ. See, it was in God's divine plan that through the, the ministry of Paul, instead of going out into the whole world to, to preach on like a fourth and fifth missionary journey, that he would literally chain Paul to people that needed to hear about Christ, to Praetorian soldiers. Who do you know in this world who is like a soldier for the other side, who is almost combative, like aggressively anti-Christian, or just won't have anything to do with Jesus, doesn't want to hear about it, doesn't want to talk about it? Well, have you ever thought that like, those people need Christ? <laughs> Maybe they're even someone that you're, you've like tried to break off the relationship with. You've tried to separate yourself from them a little bit because they're negative. They bring you down. And yet God keeps bringing them back into your life. Have you ever thought that maybe, maybe God is chaining you to them <laughs> so that you and so that I can tell them about Jesus, a family member, a coworker, a neighbor? <laughs> There are people in my life that need Christ who I would rather not have anything to do with. I'm so grateful that we're going to do things Christ's way. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be submissive to the chains. Follow after him. Who has Jesus chained you to? This is a quote from Lawson's book that I'm reading. You are not where you are by accident. You are where you are by divine appointment for the purpose of sharing the gospel. This is what I need courage for. This is what I need to be unashamed for. And if I keep trying to do this in my own power, if I keep trying to, to break the chains and go about the missionary journey the way that I want to go about it, it's never going to happen. And that's why we need prayer. We need the Holy Spirit. Do you know what happened to some of those guards that Paul was preaching Christ to who heard the gospel? Philippians 4 verse 22 says, And all God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. I think Paul is saying that some of these guards have come to know Christ. Some of these people in Caesar's household have come to know Jesus through these unusual circumstances through, hard, through hardship and this discipleship that God is bringing Paul through. Caesar's household. Do you believe that God can bring the person that you are chained to <laughs> into a saving relationship with Christ? I don't believe it 95% of the time. But it doesn't matter what I believe. It matters what God decrees and what God says he's going to do. So what do we do? We embrace life for each other. And second, we embrace life for our Savior. Paul says in verse 16, he says, I am here for the defense of the gospel. The word gospel in Greek is euangelion. And this word for gospel is used nine times in the book of Philippians. That's a lot for only four chapters. Paul talks about the gospel all the time. What does he mean by the gospel? He means Christ. In verses 15 through 18, he, he really is describing what the gospel is. He's saying that some preach Christ out of envy. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. 
whether false motives or, or true, Christ is preached. Gospel means good news. The first verse of Mark says what the gospel is about. The gospel is Jesus Christ. The gospel is not an abstract message of the clouds. It is a person that has entered into our world, has come down and has walked through suffering. Who knows what we go through when we suffer, both from outside the church and within. Jesus was bound he was bound by the, the, the religious elite of his day. He was bound by believers <laughs> and handed over to be crucified. He experienced suffering. He experienced alienation. And at the end, he experienced death. Jesus died. Jesus died. <laughs> but that's not the end of the gospel message, is it? Because it's good news. Because three days later, he rose again. He, he, the, the resurrection, what Easter's all about, he, he rose from the grave. And he conquered suffering. He conquered alienation. He conquered death. Everything that we could ever go through as a disciple, Jesus lived it first. And he reaches back through all of that pain and all that hurt, and he pulls us forward. He says, I've been there. Keep coming. Keep coming. Now, maybe you're not a disciple. Maybe you don't actually believe this good news, and you're like, well, what does this have to do with me? Well, everything. Because if Jesus hasn't pulled you through the death yet, you're still in the death. You're spiritually dead. And one day you'll become physically dead. And I don't want you to become eternally dead. I want you to experience eternal life. Because even though Philippians is a hard book, it's also full of joy. There's this great theme of joy. Paul rejoices. At verse 18, he says, And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. <laughs> Death doesn't get Paul down. We can have immense joy as we follow Christ, as we embrace life for each other, for the lost, for our Savior, and finally, also for the church. Verses 18 through 26 say this, that Paul was writing to this, this church. He was writing to Philippi, and he's, he's saying, you know what, I'm willing to continue to keep living. Like, that's going to be God's plan. I'm going to keep living so that I can help you out. Convinced of this, verse 25, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm willing to continue going through hardship for this little church in ancient Macedonia, a group of people, a group of broken people, full of people that are good. <laughs> And people that love each other and are preaching Christ for good motives and full of people that are preaching Christ for bad motives and are envious and are wounding others. Paul himself. Paul is saying, I'm willing to continue going for you because Paul loves the local church. Do you realize that one of the reasons Christ gives us breath, we were singing about breathe, breathing today and breath, one of the reasons Christ gives us breath, you and me, is so that we can love his bride, 
the local church. Not so we can love like the, the, the local church in Macedonia, but so we can love the local church that he has called us to in Westford. Christ gives us breath for that. See, Christianity is not about what's doing what's best for me. It's about doing what's best for her, for the people of God, for the church. And if you're here today and you're one of those people that says, yes, I've been wounded and when I, when I think of the church, I cross my arms because I don't want to get wounded again. Would you open your arms, open them wide, just like Christ did for his bride, the church, and keep loving the church. Keep pressing forward. Keep, keep traveling through the alienation as it comes because one day the bride is going to be perfect. The bride's going to be pure. Those, those envious and rivalrous preachers who, who, who aren't being kind to, to Paul, they're going to be made perfect. And, and those other brothers and sisters in our lives that wound us, they're going to be perfect too. Keep trusting. I invite you to come to the membership class tonight. The membership is a place where we say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to truly commit to loving each other, even though we don't deserve it, and it's, it's going to get messy. That's what membership is. I hope you'll come check it out. We embrace life for the lost, for our Savior, for the church. My, my big idea is just this idea. We embrace hardship for Christ and life for each other. I want to close with the final little story, final little illustration Maybe some of you have heard of Jim Elliot. <laughs> He's this, this famous uh, kind of Christian hero, a modern-day Christian hero. He was martyred in 1956, quite a long time ago, uh, by Ecuadorian natives. Uh, they speared him and four other Christian men to death. And his story has been told like all over the world. It's like, this is what it means to lay down your life for Jesus, <laughs> But you know, there's another man in the story who also laid down his life for Jesus. See, Jim Elliot had a brother named Bert Elliot. And Bert Elliot was a missionary to the Peruvians, to Peru, for 62 years. He helped plant 150 local churches over the course of his ministry. And Bert uh, Elliot once described his brother Jim, as a, great, as a great meteor streaking through the sky. Don't you love that? A great meteor streaking through the sky. That was my brother. And he didn't describe him this way, but the author Randy Alcorn described Bert in a similar way. He said, Bert was a faint star that rose night after night, faithfully crossing the same path in the sky to God's glory. See, Jim died heroically. For Jesus. And Bert lived heroically for Jesus. And chances are, God will probably call most of us to that second option. He might call us to the first. And if he does, the Holy Spirit will be there. But tonight, as we go through our week, we need to, to live the second way. Giving each day up to the Lord. Because we love each other, we love Christ, and we want to follow 
after him. Let's embrace Christ. Let's embrace each other. We face hardship for Christ and we embrace life for each other. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ sitting in these chairs. I pray for any that don't know you as their Lord and Savior that they would see the the great story of what Christ has done, the good news of Jesus. Lord, I pray for anyone that's watching on our, our live stream, would they come to know Christ? It's in his name we pray, amen.